Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. Well, let's continue the conversation with uh, taking a look at the latest research. And it's really uh, trying to uncover what is happening in the country in terms of malnutrition and the impact that this is specifically having on children. Anna-Marie Muller is a qualified public nutritionist working with the DG Murray Trust. Uh, Anna-Marie, good morning to you and thank you so much for your time. Good morning, Cassie. Great to join you. One of the things that has been really exacerbated under COVID-19 has been the issue of hunger, particularly child hunger. Uh, That seems to have reached really uh, incredible levels than what we have ever seen it in in this country before. Talk to me about the work that is being done in that space. Great. Yes, Cathy. Um, Definitely we've seen very high levels of hunger among children. And whilst this is very important for their acute, uh, you know, hunger right now means um, acute malnutrition, the work that I've been involved with um, looks particularly at the impact of hunger over a long period on children's um, growth and their development. Mm. And so we've recently shared um, the results of a study we did actually before COVID. And I think given what's happened during COVID, it makes these results even more um, urgent for us to respond to. So, Anna Marie, when you then look at the issue of 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 child hunger, you are saying that in order for it to reach the kind of impacts such as stunting, it needs to have been taken place over a long while. In terms of the growth of a child, talk to me about what some of those key milestones might be, and and how a lack of nutrition actually impacts that. Sure. So yes, um, but in the life of a child, the 18 months or so since the start of COVID is a long time. So, mm. um, you know, the time between conception and the child's second birthday is called the first thousand days of life. And any um, poor nutrition in this time is really urgent to be addressed and is of concern for us in the public health community, but should be for everybody because the, the growth and development of children affects us all. So a lot of the brain um, matter develops during this time. Um, and so if there is poor nutrition, the way in which we identify stunting is if a child is shorter than what we expect for that age. But what we don't really mind if children are short, you know, um, short at all, it doesn't really matter as long as you're a happy child. But what we're really impo- um, stressed about um, is the impact on cognitive development. And if you do not establish the right foundations, build the right building blocks in the brain at this very vulnerable young age, then you are setting a child up for very big issues later. And these are the types of things that do affect us all. They affect the um, Department of Basic Education because these children um, struggle to learn as well as their um, better nourished counterparts. a child who suffers from stunting is more likely to develop a suite of adult um, diseases, which of course cost the um, public health system a lot of money, you know, and treatment for things like diabetes, hypertension, those kind of things. But also um, when a person um, is perhaps physically smaller and also doesn't have the right brain architecture, it does also affect their um, productivity and economic things. Mm. So really the malnutrition of children um, very early, you know, we'll see the impact of that over time. 
And, and that's why we believe that this should be top priority. Um, and we're really shocked that this hasn't come up in the election manifestos. You know, um, early childhood isn't really on the radar, and it should be because it's the best bang for your buck. You know, you get the best return on investment mm. um, by investing early in a person's life and making sure that that foundation is rock solid for all the investments that we're making later in terms of education, employment. Uh, you know, tertiary education is a very long way away from the, the first thousand days. Um, but we're not going to get the kind of returns we wish from those investments if we don't start right from the beginning. When it comes to children who are perhaps growing up in impoverished households, there is the the child grant that is provided by government to help support these children. Now, what we also know is that that grant simply does not suffice in terms of adequately meeting um, the needs of children. Is it enough to help them meet their, their nutritional requirements, though? Um, Kathy, that's an excellent question. The child support grant is a really, really great tool, and we have you know, the best um, social protection in the continent with the child support grant, and that's something to be really proud of. But unfortunately, the level of the child support grant, so the actual amount of money that um, a caregiver receives on behalf of a child um, is inadequate to meet the nutritional needs of the child. Um, just in the last year, yesterday, the Peter Marisburg Economic Justice and Dignity Group um, reported that the cost of the household food basket has increased by 10% in the last year. Mm-hmm. And the child support grant hasn't increased by that amount. So it was already inadequate. And because food prices are rising so rapidly, um, families are really struggling. And this is something which, you know, then we can't point a finger the systems aren't in place to support families to adequately feed their children, then we're really all at fault. Mm. And, and, and that's really what becomes, uh, you know, also interesting about this research, because what we know about hungry children is that they, they come from hungry families. And in order to truly change the nutritional, the, the type of access to nutrition that children have, one almost has to change it um, for their parents as well. Absolutely. And I think in particular um, their mothers, mm. because um, a child grows first in, in the womb of a, of a woman um, or somebody with a uterus. And um, so what we found in our study um, that we conducted in the Eastern Cape is that 13% of children in our sample were born with a low birth weight. So they, were, um, they weren't weighing what, what is accepted as like optimal um, for, for a newborn. And so this directly speaks to poor nutrition um, in utero or you know, in the prenatal phase, the nutritional status of, of the pregnant person. And so whilst the child support grant is really great um, for children, um, their growth is affected by the, you know, the nutritional status of the of the pregnant person, and so mm-hmm. we are advocating very strongly that not only should the child support grant be increased to the lev- the food poverty line, but it should absolutely also be extended into pregnancy, um, so that we can start reaping the rewards of this fantastic intervention much earlier. And if we can reduce the low birth weight rate through um, better support for pregnant people, um, including um, better access to nutrition, 
we believe that we can really start to shift the dial on the stunting um, prevalence rate, which really hasn't changed since the 1990s. This is outrageous. Mm. It's really, you know, it, we've got great interventions, but they're not shifting stunting. And, and we believe that this should be top priority. Um, and we're, we're, yeah, we really want, at the highest level, political commitment to getting us to zero stunting. Other middle-income countries have done this. Um, you know, there are great examples from Latin America. There are examples from Ghana and Senegal, from some um, states in India that have done this. And mm-hmm. it's really, it starts with political commitment. One, of course, would look at issues such as the school feeding programs as being uh, one another intervention that is there to 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 deal with 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 the challenge of of child hunger. But by the time that a child is of school going age, the intervention from from what I'm hearing you say has come in too late. Yes. So, yes, once again, the National School Nutrition Program is great, and we saw the impact last year when it was just callously cut, um, and and people had to um, litigate to get it back up and running because children do depend on this. Like you were saying earlier, hungry children come from hungry households, and mm-hmm. so we should do we should have feeding schemes that are absolutely important. But for the youngest children, you know, Children under two aren't even in an ECD um, center or, or some kind of daycare facility often. So those feeding schemes don't touch them. And so we've got to do more to get good nutrition into the bellies of children under the age of two and um, increasing the child support grant and also making sure that pregnant people have access to good nutrition is absolutely important as part of the whole continuum of nutrition support in this country. Mm. And, and, you know, when you look at some of the challenges to accessing good nutrition, particularly for mothers uh, who are raising these, 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 these infants and toddlers, what have you found have been the biggest challenges? Is it just a case of, you know, food for children is, is expensive or are there other, other challenges there? Right. So for the first six months of a child's life, the best nutrition is breast milk. There's nothing that gets to it. You know, not the fanciest labs in Switzerland can make something that beats the quality <laughs> um, of, of breast milk. And, you know, it gets, the, it gets the right combination of nutrients. It gives antibodies to the child. It really is a fantastic thing. But breastfeeding is hard. Not everybody gets the support to, to you know, get that latch right, um, to keep doing it. When you're faced with a very real economic challenge of, do I continue to breastfeed my child or do I go out and try to look for work today? Those are unfair conditions. Um, for um, any parent to have to choose between the nutrition of their child and what they may very well feel is the nutrition of their child because the money that they get feeds for other children in the household and sustains them, you know, as people who need nutrition in their own right. Mm. So, so better support for breastfeeding is a really good tool to make sure that the very youngest kids get the best um, nutrition. And you can continue to breastfeed um, much longer um, at about six months old, um, we, wa- we see um, solid foods being introduced into children's diets because then the breast milk um, needs to be supplemented by, by um, normal food. And so in this period, we really see um, the issues of access becoming very real for children. Um, 
at this stage, we start looking at what is the dietary diversity of a child? Are they consuming a minimally adequate diet? And then things like the price of food, absolutely, spot on, that's an issue. But it's also about the limited availability of nutrient-dense foods in low-income areas. Mm. Um, and and then um, cheap foods um, <laughs> are bought for a reason, because they're cheap. But, the, but if they don't have the right mix of, of nutrients or they're what we call um, nutrient poor or even empty, um, then people have a false sense of security that they're actually um, adequately nourishing their children. Mm-hmm. And once again, not the responsibility of the, of the person who's in front of the shelf and has limited cash in their pocket. And these are systemic issues that really need much bigger intervention. Yeah, and and, and we're seeing that uh, lead to other challenges, of course, and, and we'll talk about them in, in a moment because on the one end, you're dealing with this issue of stunting and on the other end, it's the, the increase in child obesity. But we'll get to that uh, shortly. Let me just take a quick call from uh, Chris. You're calling us from the Eastern Cape. Good morning. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Um, Kathy, um very, very close to my heart, this, um, this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm in agriculture in the Eastern Cape. I spend a lot of time in the rural areas and, you know, all the small rural towns and so on. And I see, see what you guys are describing all day, every day. And, um, and uh, we, myself and a dietitian and a chef, just as an exercise, just, for, just, just because of, we're interested in it, took the, the 350 or 450 or 650, whatever the, you know, and, and, and with that budget, tried mm-hmm. to put together a... Uh, a meal plan for a month for a for a mom and a couple of kids. Um, considering there's no electricity, so there's it's cooked on gas and there's no fridge, so you can't have uh, fresh fresh uh, food. And um, it was literally impossible to provide a uh, uh, the right nutrients um, for a family on that budget sure. um, mm. without electricity um, in the home. Uh, considering you've got to buy uh, paraffin, or yeah, 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 and then um, so a massive eye opener for us because no matter what you do, that it's three thousand rand that you actually need, not not you know, not a couple of hundred rand. But one of the big concerns that we've always expressed is that the and and it, it sort of we get wrapped on the knuckles for bringing it up sometimes in some places is is the role that alcohol is playing and also the 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 Access to alcohol when you've got a couple of uh, a couple of hundred rand that really doesn't mean much. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and then lastly, the other thing is all those other countries that the the guest mentioned where it has been a success. Um, compare their um, their veggie gardens to ours, um, and I don't mean in in, in, in densely packed RDP uh, community communities. I'm referring to rural areas, um, Latin America, um, Asia. Mm. They all rely heavily on backyard vegetable gardens. Our population don't. Chris, um, yeah, you, you know, I'll give I'll give Anna Marie an opportunity to also respond to to what you're saying. I'm interested to know, did you at all compare what you would have put into a menu that is considered a nutritional menu versus? what um, some of the parents that you had been engaging with would have chosen as a nutritional uh, meal or menu, uh, you know, just, just with that amount of money? 
did I so again? Did I compare? So, 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 so what, what did you were you at all able to compare what the 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 mothers considered to be yeah. a healthy meal versus what you and and your you know your your colleagues, yeah. the chef etc., would have put together yeah. as a healthy meal that has all the the nutrients. We we I, I coach I coach in some of the primary schools and so on, mm-hmm. and um, so I'm I'm pretty well aware, and I've grown up in rural Eastern Cape, so I'm pretty not well well aware of what the diet does consist of. Um, so, but we did we did you know try and look for the cheapest, nutrient dense, fresh food, um, and this not, so that it wasn't just pop pop rice pop pop mm-hmm. rice, and then maybe a little mm-hmm. bit of meat. Mm-hmm. Um, it was you know your greens, your reds, your oranges, and so on and so on, a little bit of fruit and so, and so on there. And it is it's impossible to to get to that to that diet on that budget. Mm. Um, but one one thing that it did highlight big time was the lack of education from a dietitian point of view. Um, at the end of the day, it actually just came down to we're trying to put a plaster on something that's impossible to to change if we don't educate on nutrition yeah. and don't increase the increase the budget, which I don't think is a, is, is sustainable. Um, and then the role that alcohol plays. All right. Um, Thank, th- yeah. Thanks for that call, Chris. Thanks for for that call. Anna Maria, I'll give you a chance also just to weigh in uh, on this issue because I imagine that you know learning about food in and of itself is, is not something that everybody always gives themselves time to do. And I know, you know, as you're going through school, they're always there with the different charts and they're showing you the pyramid of, of the food tables, etc. But half of that stuff, uh, I think some of us throw out of out of the window. We don't even remember <laughs> what's at the top and what's at the bottom. Uh, so we'll continue the conversation with Anna Marie after this. Living Redefined with Sechaba Kheba. 1 to 3 p.m. Weekdays, only on SAFM. All right, we continue the conversation on the talking point and we're focusing on nutrition. This is for young children and what this has uh, meant, particularly for the country where we have a quarter of children under five in this country um, suffering from stunted growth due to malnutrition. Anna-Marie Muller is a qualified public nutritionist and is also with the DG Murray Trust. So Anna-Marie, do you want to respond perhaps to uh, the call that we had from from and just the experience that he's having working with the community on this matter. Sure, yes. Um, it's great to hear that so many people are trying to improve nutrition in their local context. I think that's very admirable. Um, a tool that every parent in South Africa has to help them um, think about um, good nutrition for their children is the Road to Health booklet. Um, and also the side-by-side campaign, which is the um, communications on of the um, Road to Health booklet um, offers great tools for parents. And these tools are, you know, the Road to Health booklet is is given out um, at birth um, for every child. And and there are so many things that we can learn from um, the information that's in there. So just a a reminder that that's a a tool that we all all have. Mm. Um, Then the question of um, food gardens, I think is absolutely important. You know, um, when we look at the dietary diversity of children, kids are eating lots of processed foods, lots of um, starches, the rice and the pup that you mentioned. Um, and so we need to increase the amount of, of um, 
nutritious items like fruits and vegetables and, and good proteins. Um, and it doesn't have to be meat. It can be things like beans and lentils. Um, you can have a very balanced diet without, um, without the reliance on meat. Um, but I know food is also very cultural. So you grow up eating things that, that you enjoy and that your family thinks are important and so on. So there are lots of different ways to achieve an, a nutritious diet. Um, Kathy, yes? Yes, yes, you can go for it, Anna-Marie. Great. So um, the other thing that I think he alluded to is that, you know, it's it's one thing to put good nutrition into a body, but when that body isn't able to absorb the nutrients, that's another issue. Um, And so another point that um, our research um, flagged is that basic services are absolutely important for better nutrition outcomes. And in this survey we found um, that not a single child had piped water to their home. And Mm. children who didn't have access to adequate sanitation had twice the risk, so double the risk of sanitation compared to their peers who were growing up in households with um, a ventilated pit latrine, which is considered um, adequate. Mm. And so, so these things create an environment that is not optimal for children to flourish in. And so we have to connect the dots. We can't just be talking about nutrition in the context of a child's health and educational outcomes. We have to talk about it in the context of basic services. Water and sanitation, proper housing, these are things that are Mm. very, very important for children. And we can't keep on delaying our promises of delivering these things for people who need it. You know, if we want to achieve the, um, the... wonderful goals of the National Development Plan, etc. We've got to make sure that these um, building blocks are in place for children to thrive. Survival isn't good enough if we want a country that will achieve um, the growth and the dreams um, that so many parents have for their children. We really need good nutrition, good health care. We need a house for every, every child that has the basics in place so that they grow up in an environment when food is introduced, then, you know, those bodies are able to, to absorb them. They're not faced with multiple bouts of diarrhea mm. um, and they, they aren't able to grow properly. Oh, Anna-Marie, that is such an important point um, that you are making because one just has to think about the fact that what happens when a child does not actually have access to water in their home or limited water? Of course, oftentimes yeah. that means that they have to limit the amount of times they drink water because probably the parents are also watching and saying, hey, don't waste water, you know, and everybody has to live within these limitations and th- these restrictions simply because there isn't that wide access. Uh, it's such an important point that, that you're making there. Uh, let me take a couple of the WhatsApp voice notes that um, some of our listeners have sent in on the subject. Morning, Kebby. Great show. You have hit the nail on the head. Hungry children come from hungry families and hungry parents. That is why it's a bit of a challenge when employment creations and jobs are targeted at the young people. What about the older people? Who are the parents of these children that are hungry? If the parents do not are hungry and do not have something to put on the table for the children, the children will be hungry. So that framework needs to be changed in terms of employment. There needs to be an, a quota as well for the parents. 
yeah. So, so th- thank you for that view there from from one of our listeners. And Anna Maria, I know we're we're running out of time for this conversation, but I just wanted you to touch on the issue of of alcohol. And Chris raised it. You know, uh, the fact that sometimes some of the money that um, is, is is given in terms of the grants will be spent on alcohol. Have you done any research on that and how much of a problem is that? Yes, this is a very common um, point that is always raised when we talk about grants. Um, On the whole, the evidence speaks very strongly that the child support grant is overwhelmingly used for children's basic needs, so their nutrition. Um, And there is anecdotal evidence, you know, this is a fact of life, that some people will misuse the the grant. But overwhelmingly, the evidence shows that that is not not the average person's response or the way in which they use the grant. Most grant money is used for children, and we have seen the impact of that. And that's why we can really be proud of the scale of the child support grant and the benefits it's brought to children um, since it was introduced in 1998. Do you think we need a system, uh, Anna Marie, where parents who are on, who are or caregivers rather, who are receiving the child care grant, perhaps have access? to subsidized food um, and this is basically just your basic nutritional goods including fresh produce do you think that something a system like that would would work absolutely you know we can definitely look at zero rating um, a basket of very nutritious food this is something that we engaged with retailers um, on last year when the lockdown started and we didn't really have any success there so we, we need to aggressively campaign for the zero rating of a basket of nutritional food that benefits the growing children, but absolutely benefits us all by strengthening the foundation for the development outcomes that we all are interested in and are invested in. Anna-Marie Muller, let me thank you so much for your time today and for really bringing us this very...